Uh, all right. Are you still there, Ryan, or did you already hang up? <laughs> I am still here. Hello. Okay. All right. So, so everybody, this is Ryan Ireland. Uh, he's he's affiliated with a number of outfits that anybody listening to this podcast will be familiar with. Certainly, Happy Cog is the most notable. And um, Ryan, you were just telling me that you got a promotion recently. You want to talk about that for a minute? Um. Yeah. Uh, early this year, I started in a new role as VP of Technology at Happy Cog. Killer. Um, so yeah. So you were, but you've been in that role generally for a long time. I mean, you've you've been at the you know considered the director of technology for a while. What is what does the job entail? What do you do? Um, well, it's uh, there's actually a couple pieces. Um, the main one is um, making sure that the the development team here at Happy Cog um, is uh, fully staffed, uh, has everything they need to to do their work, and just supporting them however I can. Uh, on sort of a larger level, we have a couple of directors as well for development that day to day help uh, troubleshoot and and um, think about our client work um, in terms of like strategy for you know technologies we implement uh, on a project by project basis, and um, so so they're uh, the people doing the the work uh, you know like. You know, deciding which CMS we use and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so I'm doing a lot of uh, other stuff. We just got done um, doing some hiring. So that's been a really big uh, part of, of my day-to-day work was um, talking to people and, um, you know, finding, you know, the best people we can to, to come and, and, and work here. Um, otherwise, I actually spend um, part of my time doing uh, Majingo work as well. And I know that you said I'm in a, a few different areas, uh, but um, that's actually become part of my, my day-to-day work as well here. So I'm able to spend um, part of my day uh, creating new courses and, and working with uh, Happy Cog on, um, on new courses. So um, that's sort of how my role has been split up. So you merged uh, your Majingo work with your Happy Cog work? Did, did, did I, I guess I saw a tweet or a blog post about how you. Was yeah, well, we have a um, we have a partnership where we're we're working together, and uh-huh. really, uh, Greg Hoy, our CEO, um, uh, you know, just he talked about it on Twitter, but also um, in the in the blog post on on HappyCog.com or the news article, um, just how you know it really just became once we talked about it, it became sort of a. Um, you know, a win-win for for each side. We just, you know, decided that Happy Cog loves to reach out and, and share and teach what our people know. Um, we're well-established for speaking and doing things like Girl Develop It and running courses. And, you know, I do Majingo. And so we're, everybody's um, really into sharing their knowledge. And uh, so it just made sense to sort of loop that in as a way to help people uh, share so I'm, I'm working with some of the Happy Cog team to to build some courses um, that'll be part of Majingo. How big is Happy Cog now? Uh, we are about to spill over into about thirty ish people, something like that. It's hard to know sometimes. Um, we're spread over um, two offices uh, in Philadelphia and then here in Austin, mm-hmm. and uh, I think we're I think by the end of August we'll probably be. Um, a little over 30 people. Why don't you guys have any West Coast um, office or any presence there? Uh, we actually did for for a long time. 
uh, we had um, Happy Cog in, uh, we were in Southern California at first and then moved the office up to San Francisco. And then Greg Story, who's our president, uh, who led up that West Coast office, um, we moved to Austin, um, just uh, sort of a little more centrally located, also a place where um, a lot of us enjoy living. And so it made sense to, to move here. Well, you guys can, def- I mean, can write your own ticket. You don't have to be located in a specific place because of the nature of the work. I yeah, Austin's a, it's a really nice place to live. Uh, I mean, you're from Texas, you know, yeah. uh, you know Austin pretty well, and we've we've hung out here during South by and stuff before. Um, and I think you have family here, right? They're nearby in Austin as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah, um, I have a stepsister there. Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a great place to live. Uh, Happy Cog's a, a fairly young company in terms of people having. You know, kids, um, you know, that are, you know, 10 and under. And uh, and so we like to have, you know, be places that are, you know, family friendly. And, and Austin is definitely one of those places, a great place to raise a family. So and it's also just, you know, logistically, we're kind of, you know, Austin, you can fly pretty much anywhere, uh, especially like on a, like a Southwest Airlines, um, you know, uh, left or right coming out of the state. And um, so we're nicely located, just, uh, you know, a couple hours up to Chicago and, um, uh, you know, an hour and change, hour and a half over to Denver and then a little bit further to get uh, to the West Coast and then going uh, east up to Philly. I was just in Philly a couple weeks ago and, you know, it's like a three hour and change direct flight right up to Philly. So totally, totally doable in one flight. Um, So it's a nice, logistically, it's just nice to be here in the middle. You know, now that we're getting Wi-Fi on just about any flight you get on, yeah. it's, it's just a work environment again. I spent, I got so much done on my two flights. I flew, uh, I flew U.S. Airways on my last trip up to Philly. It's about three and a half hours Wi-Fi. It's kind of expensive. It's like 10 bucks. But if you think about the amount of work that you can get done, um, you know, especially like processing email and responding and stuff, stuff where you need Wi-Fi, uh, uh, I got a ton of work done in those three and a half hours. And then coming home to... Um, I got a, a bunch of work done, so yeah, I'm on. I'm all. I'm all about it as long as it works really well. Some some carriers are better than others, or some services are better than others. Um, I think I forget what the name of the one that that US Airways uses. It's like GoGo or something like that, and uh, that was really good. The one on Southwest is is not as good. I've I've actually paid for internet on Southwest and and just had it not work. Um, <laughs> and that's you know nothing worse than teasing it and then not being able to uh, to have have what you need to. To get the work done, so usually, usually air travel for me is an excuse to unplug. Yeah, that's true. I've actually had some of, some of my best, like most most profitable ideas, uh, either in an airport or on a plane. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I'm tempted to just get on a plane for a day and make a round trip right back home. Yeah, because something happens to me, um, I get really creative and focused, and I I, don't know, I seem to, seem to pull back a little bit from the details. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah, no, uh, I'm. I'm- I'm the same way, um, although sometimes being that relaxed for me helps me to actually get uh, into the zone of addressing some some like tasks that I don't usually like to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like going through email and reviewing projects that I have and seeing what my tasks are on those projects. And, you know, things that aren't creative work, sometimes it's nice just to, to burn through and get through that, that stuff that, you know, it's like maintenance like admin work and it comes in and sometimes i need an internet connection there because we're you know happy cog we have two offices 
Um, and of course, Jeffrey Zeldman has an office um, that he calls a space apart in New York City. Um, but our client work is based out of Austin and Philly. And even though we have offices, we're still essentially working remotely between those offices because there, our projects aren't siloed by office. We're working, collaborating across offices on the same projects, I'm mm-hmm. um, truly as like a single company. And um, so, uh, you know, web tools, you know, Basecamp and email and, and IM and all that stuff is really, really important for us to collaborate. So um, having internet connection is, is, uh, is vital to, to get our work done. Things like Dropbox, you know, all that stuff is really important. One of the ongoing accidental themes of the little podcast series I've been running is the importance of location and its bearing on all sorts of different business factors. Um, I, I mean, in, in your case, you you can argue that HappyCog is distributed, a distributed team, but then again, you do have clearly defined offices. Um, to what extent do you think you're your client engagements and your ability to close a deal with a client uh, is dependent on where you're located and, uh, you know, the logistics around that. Um, I would say it's probably not really dependent at all. I mean, we do we do a good bit of work in the northeast or in the, you know, the, the, the eastern, northeastern area, maybe, you know, down into, uh, you know, D.C. area. Um, but... Uh, it, it's not exclusively we you know do stuff all over the place um, so uh, it's uh, we're not really uh, that I know of like you know hired because we're in an area we're hired because of just you know the reputation we have and the type of work we've done in the past yeah. um, and we um, and we travel um, a fair amount for our projects you know for kickoff meetings and um, depending on the on the project for you know for other reasons we need to go on site to to meet with the client and we'll send um, multiple people you know so we really get to know and and learn about the client and that's an important when you're working sort of remotely with your clients which is what you know a lot of us do now um, unless you're doing you know there are agencies that really focused on one market Um, I know you know you had him on I think uh, Brad Parscale and uh, he's very much focused on like the San Antonio market, right? He wants to kind of own that and be like, you know, and, and he wants Parscale to, to really represent the, the San Antonio businesses. And I know he does some stuff outside of San Antonio as well, but there are agencies that are really focused on the local markets where it matters that they're there. Um, and when you're working with, you know, uh, larger brands and companies, you know, they're, they're just always looking for, you know, the best people they can find to work on the project. Um, your, your projects, uh, I went to the site and I was like, all right, let me pretend like I'm a client of Happy Cog and I, I want to engage, well, you know, what process do I go through? And there's a filter right up front before you, anybody even submits a form or, you know, emails you, there's like, there's a filter of, um, you know, our projects start at the 100K level. And that was a while back that I saw that, but I don't, I think that's still the case. Um, one question I wanted to ask was, how much of this work of getting to know the client and uh, meeting them and interviewing them in person or spending time on that, how much do you do up front and how much do you uh, wait until you're on the clock charging the client for time? Um, we, uh, and this would probably be a good question for um, Joe Rinaldi who, who handles all of our uh, business development stuff, but um, we... One thing that's really important to us is to make sure that we uh, 
that we are fully engaged and excited about working like on the project that, that the potential client has. So, um, you know, one thing we don't do is like, you know, spec work, obviously, like we're not going to come in and design something for you to, to get the job or anything like that. Um, but, um, we, uh, we also, um, like to learn about the client. We, you know, if depending on the, on, on the project, you know, like an on-site, um, uh, meeting to introduce Happy Cog. We have a, um, you know, a, a really great presentation that Joe Rinaldi does, um, walking through sort of what Happy Cog is about, what our values are, um, the type of work that we've done, and um, and really start to learn, you know, whether that would be a good fit. But you know, Joe is really good because he has a, a lot of conversations with potential clients ahead of time and learns a lot about about them, their needs. Um, their their history of the website and and um, and then we we sort of evaluate that as a, there's a smaller team of us that evaluate um, any potential projects and and talk about and, and you know return questions if we have them um, the the project work in terms of discovery um, you know project definition and really like nuts and bolts defining the projects um, will will start after an engagement has already been. Um, has already started so mm. um uh, because there's a lot um you know there's a lot of work involved in in defining you know what the project is there's you know stakeholder interviews and and research and uh, all sorts of stuff and so there's there's a lot of work that goes in there so um as a vp of technology over there one thing i was really interested to talk to you about was technology um I was interested to talk to you about um, what's what some of the uh, technology choices you guys make with some regularity. Like, um, what sort of what sort of technologies do you stack up as as sort of a package solution for for an engagement over at Happy Cog? Uh, hopefully, that's not too open ended of a question. <laughs> um, we. Uh... Our main objective in terms of like sort of what I would like us, you know, how our approach should be is that um, we don't really have like a technology that we think is going to solve every problem. So we're not going to say that, you know, we're only going to use this uh, CMS or something for for every single project. Um, We, every project is different because we don't always do the, the implementation on every project. So some projects will do everything from project definition to UX to design to front-end development and then all the way into implementation and back-end development. Um, we'll do the whole thing, but we don't always do that. Sometimes we're working with um, teams that are already inside of the company that we're working on, uh, that we're working with, and uh, we'll have to, to hand off to them. So we'll, we'll be bound by some technology choices that have already been made. Sometimes we're bound by institutional decisions that have been made for the type of technology. Um, if anybody out there has ever done higher ed work, um, uh, Drupal is a huge higher ed CMS now. Um, obviously, it's free and it's um, uh, it's fairly not straightforward, but it's it's fairly known how to script Drupal to basically spin up new instances pretty easily. If a science department, you know, wants a new site, 
um, you know, for a conference or something like that, it would be pretty easy for an IT department to spin up a new instance of that for them, all within the infrastructure that they have. And there's no like, you know, one-off hosting here and there and stuff like that. So we get a lot of um, uh, a lot of different scenarios that we have to deal with, and because of that, we can't you know be like you know well we only use this. We have to you know we have to be adaptable. And ultimately, we are being hired to serve our clients and to give them our um, our expertise and our knowledge, but also help solve their problems. Um, you know, we're not really we're not there to we're not there to um, make it easy for ourselves. You know, we're there to the client comes with a problem that we have to solve and, and we're there to, to, to guide them along the way and help them solve those uh, as a team. Um, so we've done and are doing uh, Drupal work. Um, we've, uh, we've done things where we work into uh, front-end development and then that's a, a deliverable, the final deliverable on the project, and we hand that off to a, um, to a team for... Uh, like an internal team on the client side for implementation and then support them however we can with questions and, and any bug fixes that might come up. Um, and of course we, you know, so we've done Drupal, we've done Expression Engine, we've done custom coding in Laravel and in CodeIgniter. Um, so there's all sorts of, uh, we're, we're pretty much just, you know, doing whatever the project requires. What sorts of things do you do when you know you're going to have to scale for traffic? Um, you know, is there any particular approach you take to uh, to knowing that, say, you you might have a, a client site that is event driven, so there it's surrounding a, a specific type of event, mm-hmm. uh, leading up to, during, and maybe just brief briefly after that event, you're expecting big traffic spikes. Uh, is there a general philosophy or a technology stack you like to employ for that sort of a thing? Um, we, so just traditionally we're, we're a lamp stack shop where we tend to work in those technologies. Like I said, like CodeIgniter, Laravel, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, as far as like for preparing for like large (laughs) traffic sites, um, there's like, there's a few things that we do. One is that we make sure that we're, uh, we're identifying like proper hosting resources for this site. Um, you know, every for the last three or four years, we've done the MTVO Music Awards, and that's a um, the amount of traffic that generates is insane. Um, and MTV is um, partnered with a host um, who provides us um, the ability to um, to spin up and down uh, the resources we need to uh, to manage the traffic. And we're also not um, traditionally a company that will. Um, you know, we don't have like full sysadmins on board here. Um, we can do some sysadmin stuff, but for, for big, big projects, uh, we like to, uh, to pull in the experts the same way that, that we get pulled in as experts on what we do. we like to pull in the experts for, for that kind of stuff. Um, but that being said, we are, you know, smart about the technology decisions we make moving forward, especially with the project like MTV and how, you know, how it's built, how the code is constructed and also the, uh, lots of use of uh, things like varnish and other caching techniques to yeah. to just sort of uh, to not even have to you know hit like you know a database as hard as as it would get hit you know with the, the surge of traffic. Um, so uh, there's all sorts of um, approaches that we take. Uh, Mark Hewitt, who's our uh, uh, development director, uh, is uh, 
the smartest guy I know about approaching that from both a code and and hosting perspective um, in terms of like thinking about both of those at the same time. And he's always been uh, really good at, and you know, Mark, um, he's always been really good at, at uh, thinking about both of those at the same time. Uh, I did work with him. Uh, I mean, I've, I've interacted with him and known him for a while, but I did work with him on a project, uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago, and I was really struck by how, um, how uh, people-oriented he was. For someone who's so skilled technically, uh, I didn't expect him to be also so good at, um, you know, pl- playing the sort of uh, technical lead project manager sort of a role. Um, I was really, really impressed by, by, by that. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark can be, he can code whatever needs to be coded um, and then also uh, kind of zoom out and talk to a client about the functionality that needs to be coded and he can be eloquent and, and um and thorough in both of those. And that's a really difficult thing to pull off. It's a really unusual thing. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, yeah, he definitely is, is, is great at that. Well, I have, he's got a target on his back. I want him on this podcast, so if we butter him up enough. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he'll come on. He's just got such a long history with Expression Engine. Uh, yeah. At least as long as mine. And I, someone suggested along the way, they said, you know, you should try to get Mark Hewitt to come on and reminisce about the old times. <laughs> and, and, you know, capture and kind of archive uh, you know some of that early knowledge about about that particular community. So I thought that was a good idea. Um, when you guys are going to spin up a, a certain sort of um, technology package for for an engagement, let's just take MTV. Um, what is your first thought, knowing the traffic spikes? Do you think first about traffic and performance, or do you think first about your client? And their staff's uh, ease of managing that uh, that content. Are you thinking about the um, the, the end uh, visitor who's going to come and experience the site? Um, naturally, you have to think about all those at the same time. But is there something you is there something you uh, prioritize in terms of what technology you're going to choose and deploy? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, not to give a, a cop out answer, but it it definitely has to be. You have to consider all of those. Um, I would say that because we traditionally have done PHP work, that um, we would be looking in in that area first to see how we can solve this problem. Um, you know, these days, some of the guys on the team really like Laravel and have been playing with that. I know your team has been playing with Laravel a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that's that's sort of been the go-to thing that we've, we've really uh, enjoyed using. Um, Anthony Colangelo, who's one of our developers who is um, really instrumental and important in the MTV project, uh, is um, just gone, you know, sort of full on uh, on Laravel and, and really, really enjoys working with it. And so, and that's really how, you know, I mean, so many different tools can solve the same problem. And one thing I've never gotten into um, and it, it could be that I'm just not like, you know, smart enough to see to see all of the tiny differences. But one thing I've not gotten into is sort of the argument over over which programming language is better or which which flavor of framework is better or whatever. Um, there's so many different ways to solve the same problem that uh, one of the main things that I want to I want to see is that like are like the people doing working on this project enjoying working on it with the tools that, that they're being asked to use or they chose to use. And yeah. if they're really loving using Laravel, 
and they're like fired up when they're talking about it, then Laravel is the right decision. You know, as long as it's solving uh, the other needs of the project, um, you know, as long as it could be hosted and and it can scale and all that, which all it can do all of that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, that's pretty much you know how we choose. There's there's definitely a um, uh, for some projects there's a more formal process, especially when it comes to content management systems. One of the things that that um, I really care about is that we um, is that we treat the the back end experience the same way that we treat the front end experience. So like the the, the web design, um, which is that I want to create a as elegant as possible um, solution on the back end for managing content and things like that as possible. And that's one of the reasons historically like Expression Engine has been such a, a popular choice is because you can do custom fields, you can name those fields, you can really model your data right in Expression Engine in a way that fits the requirements of the website. Um, Craft does the same thing, and that's why we've used Craft. And um, I don't, I mean, we use Drupal. Um, I personally have not done a ton of Drupal work, so I'll probably like misspeak like crazy about it. But um, uh, it's it's the same way. I would say that, that Drupal is, you know, flexible but also is very imposing at the same time um but it does give a lot of power to the content manager for um organizing like where things appear on a page um where with expression engineer you more have like this like you know it's in the template type of mentality um you know the 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 page structure sort of is is embedded right in the template Mm -hmm. um so yeah so there's and we'll you know compare cmss and say you know based on on the project's requirements and then make a recommendation for what we think the best one would be. And uh, there's no, you know, it doesn't really, it, as long as it's something that's within our uh, expertise that we can that we can pull off with our team, then we're more than, than willing to, to work on whatever. So things like Drupal, Expression Engine, Craft, custom stuff in CodeIgniter, custom stuff in Laravel, uh, we'll take all that on. You were, um, I don't know, maybe a year or more ago, you were tweeting about how you had set up uh, a mobile QA lab um, yep. for Happy Cock. And it, it, it's, I'm, I'm remembering to ask you, again, too broad of a question, but how are you tackling uh, mobile? When you have a client who knows that uh, their audience uh, will at least be a large percentage on mobile or a, su- a sufficient percentage on mobile to warrant putting some time and money into it, are you uh, advising clients to have uh, iOS and Android app development done, or are you advising them to do responsive work? Are you how do you how do you negotiate that territory these days? Um, I would say that it, uh, the iOS thing is tough um, because you know I, I certainly don't believe that like every website needs an iOS app. You know, I mean. Uh, with a modern phone and a, a properly uh, designed and coded responsive website, that um, you can have a great experience without having to have an app. Um, now, some people need an app for various reasons because of additional functionality, or it's it's actually like like a, a service, software as a service type of thing that they're trying to build. Um, but so our approach is, um, from a technology standpoint, is that uh, the assumption is that. Response. If we're just going to do everything responsive, it's sort of the default approach. Um, that's you know, responsive design is just how how we build things. Um, responsive was um, 
you know, born out of um, uh, Happy Cog and, and airbag work, and it's sort of ingrained in, in everything we do and how we think, and and just sort of part of our, you know, it really fits in with our DNA and, and our history of of being, uh, you know, all about you know making the web as friendly and usable as possible. So, so I would say that uh, we approach projects from a development standpoint, you know, assuming that it's, they're going to be responsive. So, uh, and now that you know, different different clients can have different needs. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you've ever worked with anybody, but there are some companies that have, you know, these other mobile sites that are managed by a, a whole other separate company, um, like a mobile company that produces just the mobile site. And so sometimes there's challenges there that you have to work around. Yeah. Um, but the, the the assumption here in the projects, if you will go through our portfolio on our site, um, are uh, you know are responsive. So when when do you feel like a, a project crosses a line and, and warrants having uh, an actual app to be developed? Um, I haven't been in the situation yet where where that's happened, uh, and that might be for a couple reasons. Uh, it might be because we uh, we're known for our website work and our web design work, and so um, we may only be we may be only asked to do that piece of the project. It could also be that um, just the type of sites that we work on, you know, don't need apps. But that's you know, it could change any time. Um, I would say that uh, like anything that's like a where there's a, a, an application involved for like a software application for doing something. I'm just thinking of like you know. Uh, like, uh, trying to think, uh, like Basecamp or something. You know, we don't we don't work with the, they're not a client or anything like that. But uh, you know, that's a that's a that's a, a web application that that might need specialized interactions or widgets or something like that to to work properly as a as, uh, on your iPhone or better on your iPhone or something like that. Um, so I actually haven't haven't run into that. Um, usually responsive. Uh, takes care of of a lot of of what people need to to get started, especially if it's like a an informational site, um, you know, university site, um, stuff like that. And on the bigger sites where you know where maybe there is like an app and stuff, sometimes we, you know, might only be working on it up into a certain point of the project where we won't be doing the implementation work because a lot of these big companies have, you know, they have their own their own development teams that are responsible for the. This you know massive inf- infrastructure for their websites and all the different services and systems they have and the tie-ins and all of that, and um, and so we're we're basically taking we're doing a slice of that work and 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 integrating with with their team and working very closely with them to just give them everything they need to to pull off like the entire project even if we're only working on part of it. Yeah. Um, I know we have just a short amount of time to talk, and I want to make sure that we. Um, you and I know one another through the Expression Engine community, um, and I was going to ask you about your thoughts on on the state of uh, of, of that. You're still using that as a as a technology to deploy for your clients, and I am too. Um, I'm using other things now as well. Um, I just wanted to ask you your thoughts about about Expression Engine these days. Yeah, um, where to start? So, I mean. Uh... 
most people that are listening to this probably know, if they're in the expression engine world, know that I, for the last, uh, I think since 2009, I've been writing uh, EE Insider, which sort of covers news and other information about expression engine. So I'm pretty closely tied to to the community. Um, you know, you and I both have spoken at the expression engine conferences. And I also got my start doing training uh, with, you know, with Expression Engine and sort of Majingo has, was born out of this initial set of, of training videos I did through the Pragmatic Programmers. And so really, you know, I have a, I have a history going back um, to about 2006 or so with Expression Engine. So I'm not like an oldie by any means. I mean, there's people that have been around back into the P-Machine days and everything. Um, but I've been doing like business around Expression Engine since 2008 and, um, you know, when you're working in a business, and I'm speaking strictly of, of Majingo, when you're working in a business uh, around a tool like that, you're very sensitive to, like, changes in, in the tool and in, like, you know, the community and how people are perceiving things because it can very, very much directly impact, um, you know, your sales or, or, you know, or how you're able to pull off projects and stuff like that. Um, so I will say that, uh, it feels like to me that, um, there's not as much enthusiasm around expression engine as there was maybe in between 2008 and 2010. Um, now that being said, uh, that's just sort of like a, you know, sort of like, you know, you know, lick my finger and hold it up in the air and try to judge the wind and everything, you know, <laughs> yeah. like there's no, like, I don't have any, you know, I mean, I definitely have sales stats, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I don't have anything that's, you know, where I could like, you know, cross reference and verify, you know, that that's the case. Um, but one thing you have to be careful is that it, it, it can also be a reflection of like your own personal interest in where you are, in your life, in the things that you have going on, you know, I mean, I've, you know, in 2010, we had our first child and, and that can, that can pull you away from the time that you usually spent like digging through forums and stuff like that. So excitement and energy in a community um, can really be impacted by like your own personal biases or your own personal situation. So you have to be careful about how you measure it. Um, you also have to be careful, be careful because with um, like perceptions, like on Twitter and with the EECMS hashtag where, um, you know, the, the people that are, are not upset about things typically don't say anything. And so it can be, it can get really skewed that way too. Um, yeah. and it's also really easy to, uh, to, to light up sort of, a you know, a big, a big fire about something. So I, I always try to keep that balance. And that's just sort of like, it's kind of like my personality is that I don't even like, uh, I try not to, to fly off the handle about a lot of the things that have happened. Um, I would say that in general, I'm kind of discouraged, um, just in the sense that, uh, I feel like there's been a lot of unforced errors and, (laughs) um, and, and that kind of sucks, but I also feel, you know, tremendously fortunate and, and thankful to the community that we have, um, for, you know, supporting like the training stuff that I do and the site and, you know, and the people that, you know, advertise, you know, Mitchell, you advertised on the site for, for a long time now. And 
all the stuff that allows the things that I do to happen. So, you know, it's, believe me, the people that fly off the handle and get upset, um, you know, are getting upset for, for good reasons. But uh, I just always try to, like, step back and be like, whoa, you know, like, let's, you know, let's try to see what's, what's really happening here. Um, I think the Code Igniter thing is interesting. Um, I don't think anybody w- would have predicted that Mojo Motor outlasted Code Igniter. Um, but um, that's interesting. It, it, maybe it feels like there's some focus going on, you know, in terms of, like, what they're working on. Um, I know that, you know, I've been using Expression Engine 2 since, like, early, early um, developer releases. And, like, when it was, you know, not, you know, not polished at all. And um, and it's come a long way. And I use it for Majingo.com. It runs my store. Um, I use the store module. And um, I rely on it every single day to to run the business there. And so, like, you know, I'm... And I, you know, I don't, I don't always agree with everything that happens. Um, I certainly don't agree with the whole last thing with um, Pixel and Tonic and Craft and sort of how that whole thing was worded and, and handled. I'm a big proponent of speaking with your work and speaking by doing things to improve, um, you know, where you are or, or what you've created, and not, um, and not really, you know, lashing out like that. It doesn't doesn't really do anything productive and. You know, so that's just that's sort of my approach. But I'm also, I don't really, um, I don't really talk a lot about what I'm working on anyway. Usually, um, and that's just historically because uh, I feel like once you, it's so easy to to get excited about your work, what you're working on, and the easiest part of creating something is talking about it. Um, and I don't want, I don't want the easy part to happen too soon because you'll deflate your own your own balloon, so to say, and and then you'll lose you'll lose your momentum in actually working on the project. Um, so, uh, you know, I work on things until they're ready to go and then I, and then I announce them. Um, I have recently started doing like a forecast page or a, a what's coming up page for Majingo so people can kind of see what's, what's coming up. And that's more just, um, you know, because I have people asking me and, and I have customers and I just wanted to know that like, you know, even though they come to the site and they're new to Majingo and they, you know, they want to get something, I wanted to know that like, we're actually continuously creating something. Um, you go to websites and you go, you know, to read a website or you go to buy something from a website. The last thing, like, you know, one of my concerns is like, you know, is this like actually like still current and active? Are people still buying this? Or was this created like 10 years ago and nobody nobody has updated it since? Because um, to me that indicates whether or not this training material or something is good um, if, if there's actually like, if there's actually activity happening. So, that's why you try to post to the blog and you try to have an upcoming uh, list of stuff you're working on. So people know that even though it, the, the website is, you know, the products don't change, you know, every day, but that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, so anyway, I sort of veered off a little bit, a little bit from the, the Ellis Lab thing but and the Expression Engine thing. Um, I guess I would summarize it by saying that um, I still enjoy using Expression Engine as a tool. Um, the moment I don't, um, if that ever happens, I will, I will stop using it. Um, but, uh, the things that get me excited about expression now are the things that, that really got me hooked in the, in the first place. And that's going in and setting up your fields and really like, you know, figuring out how you want your form to be and 
how you want um, your data to be set up and, and putting that all together and then making it as easy as possible to manage in the control panel. And then you get in the code and you start doing the templates and it's just like, it's so simple. Um, unless you try to make it hard. Um, but otherwise it, it can be really, really simple. Um, I've also enjoyed writing add-ons. Um, I haven't done a ton of add-on work. I haven't done anything in commercially, but um, I've done a lot of internal stuff. Um, Majingo has um, a handful of add-ons. I have one like omnibus add-on that I that I created that ho- houses like a bunch of um, administrative things that that um, helps things work better. You know, I, I had a did a big migration last year. Where I moved to a new e-commerce system, and I wanted my customers to be able to migrate over to to the new system, but um, but they they had to to do it in a way to where you know, I had like a database of their old orders from the old system, which was like this hosted system. And I made a way for them to basically migrate all their orders over into the store module. Um, and so they could then access them from a, a, a dashboard that they create or that they, they get when they create an account. And so there's like a bunch of code in um, behind the scenes that makes all that happen and a few other things that, uh, that the site needs to do to handle um, a couple other like business requirements I have. Well, that was a long-winded answer. I don't know if I if I got to what you what you wanted, or um, yeah, you I'm sure people want to hear something more controversial than that. But um, it's just you know, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm so <laughs> I'm trying to to really stay focused on some goals that I've set for myself and for you know my the work that I do at Happy Cog and the work I'm doing with Majingo and and um, uh, I'm not interested in getting completely derailed by the work that another company is doing. That being said, um, you know, uh, if you're working in and around Expression Engine, or if you're a company that is building add-ons for Expression Engine and is is constantly having LS Lab build, you know, those add-ons into the CMS for free, that is definitely a cause of concern for you. Um, but uh, but I try not to get too pulled too deep into some of the the controversies that happen. There's an interesting conversation to have that we don't have time for, but an interesting conversation that there are great benefits accrue to a company that specializes. Um, but there are so many drawbacks for doing that very same thing. We've we've specialized in expression engine all these years and we've uh, reaped great benefit from that. But now that it's on the decline, and there are so many problems, um, you know, at the organizational level, not necessarily with the product itself, but the decision making behind it. Um, I, I'm feeling the pain of being a one-trick pony, um, but that's another conversation for a different time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, for uh, for a while, I would say from 2008 until 2000 and late 2010, early 2011. Uh, Majingo pretty much sold exclusively training materials on Expression Engine and did very well at it. I mean, it was, you know, uh, a lot of people wanted to learn EE, which I think is a testament to sort of like the the core of what EE is. And that's what I try to like focus on when like some of these controversies flare up is like the core of what EE is actually hasn't changed much, even in EE2. Um, and people still want that functionality it still solves their problems but that being said I'm not a Majingo is not a expression engine only training thing 
um, there's a couple reasons for that. One is because uh, there's there's not enough growth there for me for for my goals, and also because I have other interests and I want to teach other things, and I have and I want to work with other authors who want to teach other things. Um, so, uh, so I've definitely you know saw like um, you know. Uh, a decline in, in you know how many people were interested in, in buying training materials about expression engine, and fortunately I had already started expanding a little bit. But um, uh, I definitely made the switch from being sort of like a expression engine only focused thing to something that's more general. Because ultimately, Majingo isn't about expression engine; it's about um, creating really great, useful training materials for people to learn something uh, where. We're creating with like you know, teaching within a context, teaching stuff that people can, can you know, just get a foothold in or, you know, and and pull themselves up uh, into that technology that they're trying to learn. Um, and so that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do with the with the site. I'm really glad you transitioned it the way you did, and I'm really glad that you took some time to talk to me today. Thanks for making time, and uh, we'll we'll be in touch some more. Great, thanks, Mitchell. Right. Thanks, Ryan.